You are now listening to What the Hell, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 76 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I have the most special guest in the entire world joining me, the one, the only, Kevin Lahire, my husband. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. (laughs) Finally get you on the podcast. You have, yeah. Delighted to be here. Oh. See, uh, how this process works and how easy it is to talk about myself. Well, as we said before, with human psychology, we love talking about ourselves because we're experts at ourselves and people like talking about things they know about. And what do you know more about yourself or what do you know more about than yourself? Yeah, that's a really great point. Uh, I I guess a lot of the time I spend talking is in a work environment Mm -hmm. where it's quite intentional and specific about work and not about an individual. I've never been a great one for those icebreaker team building exercises where it's like, say something interesting about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm one of these people that doesn't necessarily find anything super interesting about myself so you find lots interesting about yourself you're being you're being very modest more modest than you are in real life (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna see how this podcast works out is that the british in you or is that just like a a you thing what do you think i think it's partly a me thing it is potentially i don't know a british reserved I think I think it's a generality, right? It's it's like saying North Americans are loud. It's, it's all yeah. It's all proportional. So I don't. I I think it's more just a personality mm. trait. And I mean, I I would never put myself in. I am humble, kind of bracket. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be fair. Being honest. So it isn't a case uh, of. I think it's just a case of whether something is interesting to other people. Mm. You, I Maybe I play that down in my mind and think, sure, that's not very interesting. Uh, so I, I tend to use the one that's like, I have a pilot's license mm-hmm. because I know lots of people don't have pilot's licenses. Mm. So it's um, it sounds more interesting, I guess. It's something that's an interesting trait and is uh, more specific to a group of people. So do you think that's like a defense mechanism? Is it an insecurity? Probably. Mm. Probably. We're getting deep now already. We are because saying I I sit down and watch reality TV shows (laughs) with my wife, like keeping up with the Kardashians. It's, it's, I don't know. There's there's some, some things you just don't expose about yourself in that forum. That's true. That's very, very true. It's like that, um, that show on Netflix, How to Build a Sex Room. We watched a couple episodes of that. I guess if you had a sex room, it's probably not something you'd divulge to someone, even though it's quite interesting. That'd be interesting information. You wouldn't divulge that. That is something in the work environment which would definitely leave some silence. <laughs> you would have thought. Questions? 
<laughs> so I think we should start off the conversation by you sharing a little bit about your background. I'm sure people would be very curious to know how we met. I don't know if people listening know how we met. I don't know if people listening know about our age gap. People seem to be really interested in our age gap as well. Um, more along the idea of me being a gold digger than anything else. <laughs> so, uh, but I think we should start off the conversation by you sharing how you even got to Canada. Sure. I grew up and was born on an island called Guernsey in the Channel Islands. That is, um, it is part of Britain, but it has its own government. It's only 25 square miles. For those that have heard of it, I guess it's famous for tomatoes. Um, Guernsey milk. Guernsey milk, yeah, Guernsey cows. Um, offshore finance, for those who are aware of rich people squirreling their money away. So I, I, I grew up there, and um, the, the island had a strong growing industry and, and a strong finance industry from the 60s. It also had a strong light industry, too. And I've always been a technical person into anything engineering. Uh, so I did an engineering degree off the island and um, returned uh, after that to work in, in light industry as electronic engineer. I also brought back with me a fiance who I uh, met at university. Her name was Megan and we... We connected after about a year, I think, at university and um, actually got engaged at university. Whether that was a bright idea or not, I have no idea, but it, it definitely seemed to work out. We we returned to Guernsey and, um, and got married in the early 90s and I guess just settled into, into regular life as whatever 20-year-olds do, going out with groups of people and traveling and and doing whatever and um towards the end of the 90s the, the industry i was in really started to dry up so i i did make a transition into into finance um, but in the it space uh, and, and that seemed to uh to work out really well um i progressed pretty well uh, also at that time uh, megan and i began skiing regularly and most of the skiing we did was in Canada and in, in Banff we visited with several groups of friends uh, through the early 2000s and so by the time 2003 came we we'd been to Canada three times uh, Megan floated the idea of emigrating and I guess it was something I'd never really thought of um yeah and we visited again 2004 in the the march and by the time i got back from that i i kind of was sold with the idea of of applying that process um was a kind of one-way trip in my mind it was a it was a way if we're going to do this this isn't a let's temporarily you know, go to Canada for a couple of years, see how things work out. It would have been too disruptive. 
So Megan and I applied for uh, skilled worker visas, and that process took two years. And by the uh, I guess yeah the summer of two thousand six, we we pretty much had confirmation that that we could get in and we've been accepted. So that that was it. It was a decision to to emigrate. We basically sold everything up, uh, resigned, committed to having a year off when we got to Canada, spend time skiing. I had already been learning to fly, but had to curtail it through just being too busy. So I, I committed to myself to start that process again uh, and finish that. Um, then we would look for for work. So in February 2007, we landed in Canada after selling everything. We rented a house and just spent a year off. So it was like a, an extended vacation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what happened a year or two later? We got into work, um, settled into life, bought a condo. Um, you know, things were taking along. And out of the blue, um, Megan had cause to visit the doctor. And actually very quickly in the March of 2011, ended up having surgery and being diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, really, from going to the doctor to surgery was two weeks. Wow. Yeah, it was incredibly quick. Mm-hmm. So that uh, definitely put a different spin on things. It creates a lot of shock mm-hmm. in the system. Um Lots of things go through your mind immediately, like she's going to die, and that's what goes through her mind as well. And you try and allay those concerns, but clearly at the age of 40, barely 41, it, it, was, a, it was a really big shock to the system. Mm-hmm. So following that surgery and diagnosis, we went through a period of treatment and chemotherapy. Fortunately, it was an early stage um, ovarian cancer. It was a, a stage one, and they, they felt there wasn't any particular migration. Um, their one concern was that it appeared to be an aggressive cell type, which was the reason for following up with uh, chemo. Mm-hmm. And then you started going to the gym after that whole thing once her chemo finished in the september and she returned uh, to work there was a a a real push to i guess be healthier Mm -hmm. i think in in her mind it it was really great to get to get into the gym she got a personal trainer Mm -hmm. and started just thinking about i guess maybe being healthier or although clearly ovarian cancer really isn't really you know from what we know a lifestyle driven cancer well, right it may or may not be it may or may not be yeah. it's it's impossible to say but yeah. uh, unlike lung cancer which is predominantly driven by smoking not always not always but there are a number yeah, of, of them that are really you know pegged to lifestyles yep 
ovarian cancer less less so They're, it's difficult to determine the exact predisposition that's why there's limited pre-screening still and a limited understanding um, as to those that are at risk there's lots of ifs buts and maybes around it so i, I think there was just a push to just improve lifestyle mm. it wasn't that you know, either of us were super unhealthy, but uh, as typical with, I guess, average working couple at 40, we, you know, probably uh, 20 pounds too heavy, probably drunk alcohol too frequently. We had both quit smoking in 2006 prior to emigrating. It was something we didn't want to emigrate with. Mm -hmm. So that was a positive. And we were relatively active in terms of skiing and going hiking. But we certainly didn't work out. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a good opportunity. Um, and when she joined the gym, I did at the same time. Uh, didn't take up a trainer at that point. Just go figure it out. I could use a running machine. <laughs> I could find something heavy to pick up. Yeah. Um. And yeah, that was my first foray into into being in the gym. Mm -hmm. And then what happened next with her? So we got into 2012 and there had been a three-month checkup in December and there was what they call NED, no evidence of disease. Mm -hmm. So things seemed to be going fairly well. Uh, Megan and I visited the UK, visited her family in the uh, May, and she had recently had a blood test um, before leaving. Uh, and actually, we were a couple of days from getting back and picked up a message. And of course, this is still a little old school. It was kind of a, a home phone answer machine. <laughs> Just saying, um, can you call in reference to your blood work? So when, when she contacted them, they were concerned about the primary marker they were using to monitor mm -hmm. the, um, the return, if you like. Mm -hmm. It's a particular protein blood test that they do that is more effective after diagnosis than as a pre-screen. So we returned right at the end of May, and for speed, literally went to Canmore to get a scan. And, yeah, beginning of June, actually on my birthday, 7th of June, mm -hmm. sat in the doctor's office, and he says, yeah, you have cancer spread. Mm -hmm. It's it's moved through. It, it looks like it's in the bowel. Um, pretty certain mm -hmm. and you know I guess the question is well what are the chances like this chemo clearly didn't work mm -hmm. and he said he didn't like to put a number on it but because um, they're wrong 50% of the time <laughs> so <laughs> pretty much landed on a 50-50 on this one right but it's interesting in in I think in I don't know how her mind was, to be fair, whether she would express it, but certainly 
there's always that idea of those around people who are sick that they can overcome it mm -hmm. and defeat it. It's a positive kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. What made this situation interesting, because the original chemo had failed, it seemed that using the same chemotherapy wasn't going to be effective. Right. So we kind of got a bit of a Russian roulette option, and that was to use a trial drug, a very expensive trial drug. I, I won't get into the name of it. How? No, I think you should say the name of it. Well, I don't know how, if it still goes by this, the same name, but it was a Pfizer drug called Sutant that had been developed to um, handle renal small cell cancers. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to see, they believed it was effective in that case, and they wanted to see if they could expand its, its use. So the trial was very specific, and the trial was so specific that it had to be ovarian cancer. You had to have gone through one cycle of the chemo drugs that she'd gone through, and only one. Um, if you'd gone through a second cycle, you weren't eligible for the trial. So it was a, it was a now or never on this one, mm -hmm. because I can't remember the exact number on on the on the drug, but it was in the tens of thousands per month. Jeez. So for public health authorities to fund on a large scale would obviously take services away somewhere else. So if you're using it, it has to be effective. Mm -hmm. you, you can't have thousands of patients consuming tens of thousands of dollars a month on something that doesn't work. So the decision was to proceed and use the trial. It was an oral chemo, which meant at least not having to go into the hospital and sit there for eight hours having toxins pumped into her just take it by mouth just take it by mouth yeah she could carry on working mm -hmm. carry on doing other things and that started fairly quickly at the end of june and how long was she on that trial for she was on the trial probably till about 10 days before she died and then I mean, it was clear that it wasn't working when when they did further scans. Yeah. Um, the analysis indicated that maybe some tumours had shrunk, but there were others. Um, I mean, quite clearly, it was one of these things that was not going to be effective, but we persisted. Mm -hmm. But the, I guess the quick version is that that really by the beginning of September, she got quite sick. Um, I think there's still a, a piece of denial in her illness that was, you know, is this is this the drug or is this cancer? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So she carried on pretty much pretty until the beginning of of September, and then. By the 4th, when I took her into hospital, um, yeah, it was it was quite a day, that one. I, I took her in on a Wednesday and uh, and went in on the Thursday morning. And, I mean, literally, the doctor was stood next to her saying, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. There's nothing we can do. Mm. You, you have a week at most. 
Wow. Do you think that diagnosis, because it was a week after that, wasn't it? That was a Thursday and she died on the Tuesday. I wonder if he would have said you have two weeks, if she would have carried on another week. That's hard to say. Um, her parents flew over from the UK. And I mean, within days, she was not really that cognizant. Right. She couldn't really communicate. Do you what? think that was partly because of the drug? No. No. No, I, I think we'd ceased that a, a week before. Oh, okay. But there were lots of other drugs being used to try and support, you know, declining liver functions and things. Pain, whatever And else. pain management and yeah. things and opioids, right, all yeah. kinds of things. So, no, she declined really fast. Um, whether she w waited for her parents to show up on, on the Sunday, I, I, I don't know. It's very hard to say. But the long and the short of it was... She she had a pretty short short time there, and yeah, passed um, in uh, September the eleventh. Yeah, nine eleven. Yeah, so it'll be ten years this year. Wow, that's ten ten years has has gone by fast. Mm -hmm. Did you continue to go to the gym right after she had passed away? Like what um, what happened with that whole situation? I did actually. I took i took a month out of work i mean whether a month is too short which should have been longer it's really hard to say i think at that time going through a process in your mind of things like do i stay in canada because you didn't know anyone else here other than people at work not particularly no didn't have any close friends no no not really um yeah most people were work associates and i guess there's that question was maybe just fleeting mm. you know do i do i sell everything and just get out of here right but uh, I, I don't think i seriously challenged that question in my mind i think i think i made the decision to move and i was going to make it work and i guess these things happen right because mm -hmm. you only lived in canada for four years before that was feb 2007 before she died yeah, till September 12. So it was just, it was five and a half years. Mm. If my math is right. Yeah. So then you started to see a trainer because she had some training sessions left, correct? I still have my membership. Um, and probably before Christmas, I had started going back to the gym. I returned to work after Thanksgiving. I just, I guess, tried to continue doing things, going skiing. So, yeah, she had some training sessions. And, well, I just thought, why not use these? I mean, they're there. Let's see if I can get some formality around my, my gym workouts. So I know she had around 10 sessions or something. So I, I started with, um, with her trainer, yep, doing some workouts. Mm-hmm. And it, it made a difference because I, you know, I hadn't been to the gym in a little bit, but, but quite freq frequently wouldn't necessarily push myself. Mm -hmm. And I think after my first training session, I, I couldn't lift my arms the next day. So it was, it was kind of eye-opening. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about um, 
the aha moment you got with sugar consumption? Because this was before we had even met that you had, well, you, you can explain, you watched a video. and So that was February 2013. I can't, well, actually, no, that's not true. I, I do remember the exact trigger. I had got into a mindset that, you know, drinking alcohol regularly on my own wasn't something I particularly wanted to do. It was okay occasionally, but, you know, going down the gym, getting back home, and then just drinking seemed to be counterproductive. So mm. I, I'd got into a into a false health regime, if you like, mm. of, of drinking, you know, orange juice and orange juice and Sprite and things like that. It's like, well, it's not alcohol. They're delicious, well, but... <laughs> I, I know. Uh, Probably not even anymore. Yeah, and... I can't remember what triggered me. I, I'd always been, oh, I'll try and do the conversion because Britain is stones and pounds. So I I, I will, I, I guess I've always been around the 185 to 190 pound and I'm five foot 11, you know, fairly you know, average kind of build, right? You're, I, you're pretty slight of frame. You're not yeah. like some big hefty guy. Like. Yeah, my bones are fairly light right yeah um, you're lean yeah definitely lean so i'd sometimes through time in the 2000s particularly you know in the 30s tipped up towards 200 pounds and a little bit over and that was always clearly a bit heavy especially when it wasn't muscle yeah and it's just lifestyle right whether just quitting smoking helped me put on a few pounds i don't know so I I was kind of in the mind like why why does this not go anywhere why why does this excess weight always seem to be there uh, by reasonable quality food and I stumbled across um, the bitter truth the, the Robert Lustig video and watched this through and then was like that's interesting let's take a look at what I consume that flavored yogurt that orange juice and lemonade and started totaling the sugars up and, and for anyone who doesn't know the bitter truth was um a lesson that dr robert lustig put out and it was filmed and put on youtube it got millions of views hasn't it it has yeah i think it was a 2011 yeah just a lecture he was giving that's right in yeah. uh, california and I started totaling this up and I had a realization that, I mean, the, the World Health Organization recommends, I don't know, what's it, six teaspoons or is it 24 grams of sugar? It does now. Right. I don't know if it did back then. I think it was about that level. Oh, okay. But it was also the, the fructose component mm -hmm. and, and how that is handled in the body that was quite alarming. Uh, and when you consider modern foods and how they're manufactured it was kind of an eye-opener to go this isn't a surprise all of this stuff that i'm consuming mm -hmm. is not if it's not high in sugar it's also high in fructose too yeah i would suddenly committed to eliminating all of those things but you went like hardcore like you cut totally. out like all sugar I minus started, fruit and glasses of wine oh okay <laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> okay yeah 
and beer. Yeah. But but things like flavoured yogurts, anything, and sauces in a jar. But it's not like you were drinking every single day. No, 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 no. Were you? No, no. No, okay. No. <laughs> just, in the, just at night, okay. not, not, in, not in the day. <laughs> so it, it was sizable. And, and the aim was, or my general aim was, I will not consume anything with added sugar. If I'm going to make something and it needs a sugar component, I'll know how much I'm putting in, yeah. and it will at least be in a, in a normal in your control, form, in my control, and it it won't be fructose or anything dextrose or any other created yeah. right food processing additive. It will be just be straight sugar. Yeah, and I guess for a month, nothing really seemed to happen. Although, actually, one important factor, doing a pilot's license, I'd always had flight medicals. And all the time I'd had these, I'd always tended towards a higher blood pressure reading. I don't know, 130, right, over 90. Every medical practitioner I ever met always put it down to white coat syndrome. Mm. Oh, it's just white coat syndrome. Yeah, but you're fine, right? I did have a blood pressure monitor because we got that, I think, when Megan was sick. It was mm -hmm. one of those medical articles we ended up collecting. And I, I started measuring my blood pressure. And actually, very, very quickly, my blood pressure dropped. It dropped into like the 110, 115 over 75. Wow. Total kind of normal range. Just cutting out sugar. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did an experiment not long after that where somebody I worked with, I think, had a, a celebration. It was like a 60th. And I, and I ate a piece of this cake and I did not feel great. I felt almost dizzy. Mm. I got home and measured my blood pressure and it was through the roof. Wow. And, and that was even two to three hours after it. Mm. So... That was a positive. Uh, I was like, okay, sugar was clearly having that impact. Mm -hmm. Weight-wise, though, after about a month, I started to lose weight precipitously. Mm. And what was strange is I didn't change my eating, and yet every week I, I was losing four pounds, five pounds, and I was still had the same gym routine same food and it just carried on and it carried on and my weight dropped from 195 down to really 165 yeah i lost 30 pounds just cutting out sugar just cutting out sugar and to be fair you cut out sugar while you started seeing a trainer and that those changes progress over time right so it did matter a little bit your training but from a diet perspective, all you did was cut out sugar. From a diet perspective, just sugar. Yeah. I didn't really change protein or really have any visibility of mm. that macro. The macronutrient Yeah, ratio. just getting into, you know, the complexities of, of that and, and getting that specific. You know, I, I had trainers. I switched trainers by then who would, you know, they were guy trainers. They're in their 20s, right, early 30s obviously pretty fit yeah would talk about protein intake and you know you've got to have a shake for this and 
pre-workout for that, but not really on the nutritional side. So the the primary change was just eliminating sugar. Isn't it funny how, you know, people, when they think about blood pressure, oh, I got to cut down my salt, got to cut down my salt. But that that actually is not the culprit at all. That is such a big myth. The myth, the, the reality is it's sugar. Yep, it is Added sugar. sugar. Added sugar. Added sugar. I don't, I, I still eat fruit, mm-hmm. fruit with the fiber. Yep. Um, uh, there are lots of professional sports. Uh, people eat bananas and all kinds of fruit. They don't shy away from the sugar. They, they can consume it. But uh, as, you mean, as, as you well know, it's a different, different um, digestion process when it's combined with, with the fiber. Yeah. So that that made a huge health difference. Um almost almost excessively actually because that there's this balance between having the energy to build muscle and putting enough in and getting so light on sugar that I I got super lean, right? You did. You know, into the probably the mid 150s in terms of weight. Mhm. And uh, so at that point I probably didn't have a lot of muscle, but I dropped all the fat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's kind of when we met. Yes, we did. I think we um, started training, or you started training me as a personal trainer Mm -hmm. uh, in the August of 14. Yeah, because you were training with John Andrew. Shout out to John Andrew. And he got fired. (laughs) He did. (laughs) misconduct which is so ridiculous but we won't even get into that that's for another episode or not ever Mm. but um i had my manager call me into his office and say hey john andrew's client kevin is on the elliptical right now that's right you're on the elliptical (laughs) perfect workout right you you don't need to go through a thought process on how to use an elliptical you just set the tension and make it go backwards and forwards. I right? don't think you'd go on an elliptical now, would you? No. No. Okay. No. Well, that's okay. No. Uh, there's no shame in the elliptical. It's just funny. I just That's just a chuckle. Anyways. So he said, John Andrew's client, Kevin, is on the elliptical right now. He still has sessions left on his account. You should go see if he wants to train. I was, I don't know if I was a new trainer. Had I been there a year? I think you joined in around the march april 2013 yeah because i was working out with a different trainer but switched to john andrew and you were training somebody at the same time yeah sergey four o'clock shout out to sergey (laughs) (laughs) so we started to um i I guess be in the same space yeah just joking around and exactly as trainers and clients do who train at the same time yeah 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 so i went up to him on the elliptical and and gave him a free session card and say if you'd like to train with me i'm really happy to give you a free session and then another trainer trevor came up to you as well didn't he he did um obviously you guys were well aware of the sessions i had on book yeah and and the fact that i was without a trainer so it was uh just piranhas yeah it was (laughs) (laughs) Perfect environment to chase it down. There were going to there were going to be any refunds here, right? Was, I don't miss being a trainer. 
Yeah, it's, I, I know you're into sales, right? You just love that <laughs> element of it, that mercilessly chasing people down and harrying them into buying your services. Uh, would right? you like to buy 24 sessions or 36? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, at the time, I was, I was probably just buying 36 sessions, right? Just buying large blocks. Yeah. So, yeah, when John Andrew left abruptly... Um, <laughs> I can't remember if I, I think I had a bit of a gap. Um, I couldn't really put a firm time on it. But um, yeah, we we were definitely, um, you were definitely training me from the August. Yeah. From the, you know, the middle of. Spoiler alert, he chose me over Trevor. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny, I I carried on on the elliptical and, and was like having a think about it. Um uh, and actually, the thing that struck me it wasn't that you were much better looking than Trevor. Um, and Trevor, if you listen to this, it's it's no slight. Don't don't sue me or anything. Right? It's just the way it is. I was like, yeah, this has been several weeks, and the thing is, if you wait, you you won't. Because stepping back, getting a personal trainer was a a fear thing for me. And again, whether that's just a personality of not wanting to be told what to do, there's a bizarre idea that some folks have before they visit a gym that they have to be fit yep. to get a personal trainer. Yep. <laughs> a lot of people have that. I can't go to the gym until I'm, I'm more fit. Right, because a personal trainer is, is, is going to be like some boot camp person. It's like, if I'm not fit, I'm, I'm going to get killed yeah. right here. Well, a bad personal trainer is just like that. Or only like that. Well, a personal trainer that doesn't match it to your level of fitness and your objectives, right, is is the problem. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was always in my mind, and it was still a, I, I guess a, you know, um, an incorrect thought and approach. And it was one of those ones where it was easy to put off because if I stayed on the elliptical and did nothing, I could just defer this decision for weeks or months and choose to show up to the gym whenever I felt like it mm-hmm. and also then choose to do you know the executive workout right yeah you know a bit on the elliptical maybe run maybe sweat a bit no the executive you know. workout is oh, yeah. twiddle your legs on the bike oh, while yeah. reading the newspaper and then go and sit in the sauna oh yeah that's what yeah but you know pick up the odd weight I, I'd, I'd had some training by then so you know using the bench or dumbbells and Definitely not doing legs, right? But just <laughs> just basic. At least I could do that. But I I think after a minute or so, I was like, no, you should you should get off this chase after Lena. Well, chase. You know. yeah. <laughs> and you should take her up and start training again. So that's what I did. I, I think I followed out like a minute or so later and went, yeah, actually, let's do this. Let's yeah. see how this goes. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it, we started just out as friends. I remember our first session, we were in the stretching area, and you told me about Megan, and we had a moment, and we just became friends. I was single. I lived alone while well, I lived with with um, a lady called Carol. She was a senior I helped to look after her and I rented a room in her house. You lived alone and 
I don't even know how we really... St- oh, I do know how we started hanging out. <laughs> this is going to be way too long of a conversation. Um, but I'm going to give you the Coles Notes version. I was on a dating site to which I will not divulge the name. <laughs> and met someone who lived in the UK. He flew me over to London. I met him. He was a complete douchebag. I flew back and... We were training and I just said, I, I'm just lonely. And Kevin's response was, then we should go out for dinner sometime. And then we did. And then we went out to Sergei's birthday party together. And then we went to the gym the next day together. And we just started hanging out and we were just, we were just friends. But we just clicked. We clicked right away, didn't we? We did. And yeah, the, those, those events happened pretty quickly through, through the October. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just started hanging out a lot. I mean, I I didn't really know anybody else or connect anywhere with anyone else. And yeah, we just connected and just started hanging out a lot. Yep. And then you came back to my hometown for Christmas. You didn't spend Christmas alone, but we still weren't dating. No. Although you got me a Prada handbag for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Probably why everyone thought it was a gold digger. <laughs> Well, each to their own. I mean, people people can take whatever view they want on those yeah. things. It's just at that time, I felt you needed one. Yeah. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> you were absolutely right. Yeah, and I think after that Christmas, I committed to dating, you if did. you recall. Yeah. Um, so... I we, pushed you to start dating. You did. You, because you, you told did. me you loved me. You did. Well, did I? Oh, that's true. <laughs> In November. And I said I didn't love you back. That's true. That's, yeah. that's what guys do, yeah. 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 Well, I, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, in my entire life, I've had two relationships. Mm-hmm. Beyond, hand, right? And both of them have been marriages. Yeah. So. I'm the second one. You, you are. Uh, <laughs> So whether that's a, a skill thing or a desperation thing by me, it's like, no, someone, don't go anywhere. I, I can't tell you, or maybe it's part of my makeup, just not to frivolously, you know, try and engage in, in romantic relationships, right? Mm-hmm. That they kind of, you know, I guess Megan and I were friends before, before we actually got together so and you and i were friends before we we were together i think that's just the way it works i don't think it's to me anyway it is not that unusual Mm -hmm. it's i don't need to go through 50 different relationships yeah to try and land on one Uh, and i think that was quite apparent in 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 kind of the january february of online dating 2015 with online dating Mm -hmm. It, it was fine but it kind of felt artificial like yeah so he was dating and i was dating he was on match i was on tinder and we would go on dates and then come back at the end of the night and discuss our dates i know we're already at 43 minutes crazy hey you do love talking about yourself (laughs) well uh we'll do a part two okay but yeah so we'd come back and we'd we'd share about our dates and it was just like I was pushing him away because I had never experienced a healthy relationship. 
you know, with my past and being in abusive relationships or, you know, really toxic relationships, I didn't know what it was like to have someone who genuinely cared about me. So I pushed you away quite a bit. And then in the February, was it February or March? When I Probably asked, into the March. Yeah. I, I just made the decision, like, if if we're going to continue to hang out, it it can't be this, like, in-between thing. And it's either I go all in or we part ways. And I didn't want to part ways. And so basically asked you to be my boyfriend. You did? At River Cafe. And that was it? And that was it? Down the hole. And and then when did we get engaged? Well, I was planning and booked to go to to Europe or to go back home um, in the June. The short story version. Yeah, exactly. In uh, no, give the short story version. What's the short story version? Well, you know, just how long until we got engaged? I think it was the May, wasn't it? Mm. Oh yeah, we got engaged May. Yeah, and then we got married in the November. Yeah. Well, you just know you know. That's very true. And there are folks out there that go through long relationships. They go through six, seven, eight-year engagements. If you're in a six, seven, eight-year engagement, unless you have some clear logistical challenges, why are you engaged and not married? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's. I mean, the whole purpose of getting engaged is to get married. Yeah. So you know generally there's just logistics and and things that may defer that but you you know tend to move forward to that state and maybe for me you know i was married from 92 um you just wanted to seal the deal well exactly i was married for 20 years before so yeah. so to me it was a it was a natural state to be in mm -hmm. and i think too like there was you know, the religious component mm -hmm. on my end of not really wanting to, you know, live with someone. <laughs> I, I mean, I wasn't the Virgin Mary, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that area of faith is a whole different conversation yeah. right, to, to be had um, on on where, where I was at, where I'd been, mm -hmm. and, you know, where I moved to. There's a whole conversation on, that on is that. a whole conversation. Um, for us and that journey mm -hmm. but uh yeah we we got married in in 15 and incredibly it's it will be seven years this year yep yeah it's been it's been a ride and what have you learned most about health like where are you now in your health and fitness journey in terms of like um nutrition exercise because i think you're a lot more fit than you were when we first met. And you're definitely more fit than you were when you were in your 20s or 30s. Totally. I am way, way fitter. And, and just for everyone, there's a 21-year age gap between us. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you're wondering. Everyone is really curious on age gaps, which, I mean, like, if you look throughout history, it's not that uncommon. I don't know when it became more common for women and men to be around the same age when they got married. Probably, like, what, 50s, 60s? Yeah, I th I mean, again, there's a whole conversation in, in, in history. I, I mean, my parents were seven years apart. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I mean, seven years is... Child's play. Isn't, is nothing. <laughs> I, I guess 
I guess couples getting together and tending to have families in you know through post-war the traditional model was that obviously the guy could provide so had to be established somehow mm. some way right to support mm-hmm. to support um you know having a family mm-hmm. whether that's an old-fashioned view or not i don't know i'm sure there'll be lots of people who will be going that's not right <laughs> but the truth is it it was yeah um things are clearly different now mm-hmm. which is maybe why you see a couple's closer in age like, yeah the feeling is if you know, they should always be almost within a year or two yeah um, and you know that may be true especially if you meet at university yeah you're, you're going to have a, a group that is within two to three years of each other well there's a big age span in university they can be they can be yeah you're, you're a mature student yeah there, right long and the short is you fall in love with who you fall in love with right that is that is very true that is very true. You can't write the rules on these things. No. And yeah, there's a whole there's a whole set of conversations around things like that, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, each to their own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of people in lots of circumstances out there that are unhappy and happy. Yeah. And I, I think generalizing it, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. No. It's what makes sense to to you and your relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so going back where are you at now with fitness and nutrition i think with fitness i i don't find going to the gym a chore mm. um certainly you've got to keep your workout regimes fresh and focused and again do you do you try and endlessly set goals right and become it's one of these situations, is it really sustainable over 10, 15, 20, 25 years? Mm-hmm. The answer is probably not. If you need to have some goals, but you also need to not beat yourself up mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. Like getting through the doors, as they say, is always most of the challenge. If you can get through the doors regularly, even in the middle of winter here when it's minus 30 and you're going to go to work and it's five in the morning and it's like, I don't want to go to the gym. It's And you it, do it anyway. But you do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And even if it's 45 minutes, and maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. The thing is, if you just keep doing it, that that's one half of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other half... It's the biggest half of the equation. Well, the, the biggest half? The, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> it's a huge part of the equation. It is huge. Yeah, uh, and and you know on the nutrition piece, it's it's a bit like it's a bit like dieting. Dieting fails because people create a, a constrained set of conditions which they cannot possibly sustain long term. It's mm-hmm. always going to be a transient behavior. Yeah. So so moving your mindset about food and you know that idea of of missing donuts or missing foods which are clearly when consumed regularly and in quantity are not going to do you any favors Mm -hmm. but being satisfied and comfortable with that and saying actually i don't need a spike in in blood pressure i i don't need to be carrying 10 or 15 artificial pounds of weight that i just don't need they're there because you know of, of what i eat i think you become comfortable then with the idea of what's an artificial pound it's a 
non-muscle, right? Non-essential fat. <laughs> it's that extra baggage. Fat pounds. Yeah. It, okay. It's so well, extra weight. Extra weight. Never yeah. heard of an artificial pound in my life. It's what everybody carries around in in our Western society, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 more. Yeah. Um. And I think getting in a place where you're comfortable with what you're consuming and don't feel like you're missing out. Yeah. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, and, you know, as we know, in this current climate with inflation, it's it's really expensive and can be hard for people to to eat in in the best way. Yeah. Because, you know, our, our pricing in society is geared towards that mass-produced article that really contains a bunch of junk and is mm-hmm. padded out to mm-hmm. resemble food. Yeah. Um, and it isn't it isn't doing you any favors. So mm-hmm. I think when your mindset changes uh, and you appreciate what's what's good to put into your body on a regular basis. Then because you feel good. Absolutely. And that's motivating. And I'll still have a glass of wine every now and then. Yeah. I, I won't shun alcohol completely, but clearly there's a very f- delicate balance with something like alcohol where... Or sugar. Or sugar. Uh, it, it, yeah, exactly the same principle. There, there'll be a situation where you can consume that additional sugar, added sugar, knowing that it isn't it isn't a great thing, but it won't make any difference because you're not doing it habitually. Mm-hmm. Well, we have dessert every day. We do have dessert every day. Yeah, you just don't put any sugar in it. <laughs> <laughs> I put a little bit of sugar in, but like we'll have like a little scoop of ice cream. But when I say little scoop, we'll have like. A couple tablespoons, a couple spoonfuls of something or like a quarter cup. And it's not like we're neurotic about measuring things to the T, but if we want to have something like that every day and we know it's not the healthiest thing to consume, then you just have a little bit of it. And you I don't feel restricted because we have it every day. I have a piece of chocolate every day. It's good quality chocolate, but I want it every day. So I'm just going to have one piece. And that's a really interesting statement because... If you go talk to people who are trying to control their weight and you say, hey, I, I eat ice cream every day. I know. it's uh, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, it isn't like for like, right? No. It, it's it's um, definitely a difference in approach. Yeah. And an overall healthy idea of, of who you want to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think well, walking through the gym doors always helps. Yeah. It's not that there are people who are not out of shape who go in the gym and stay out of shape. But it does help if you walk in there with the right mindset. Um, and now, yeah, from 2011 through to now, it's um, it's it's over a decade, right, of, of continual gym attendance, right? Yeah. And gym memberships. Yeah, and you're muscular and you're fit and you're lean and you're functional. I mean, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I've never felt better. Yeah, that's amazing. And I do like I do appreciate like with the whole food thing that there's another, you know, line of thought saying don't have that stuff in your house and then it doesn't tempt you. And for some people that is probably going to be more beneficial, but I think like you should be able to have a box of cookies in the pantry and not feel like you have to consume all of it. However, those foods are highly palatable and so if they're there, then you are going to consume it. So my approach isn't the approach that everyone should take 
And it's not possible for everyone to necessarily, well, I don't know if it's not possible to withstand, but it's like, are you going to bring an alcoholic to a bar and say, just have water? Right? Like, I'm very controlled. Maybe some would think I'm too controlled in food. Like, I'll have three chips and I'll be fine. And that is a delicate balance. (laughs) He's laughing right now because he cannot have three chips. There are those that will see that as uh, as a a real constraint. Yeah. And like, well, you are denying yourself. But I'm not. Perpetually. I feel great. I'm fine just having three chips. I just want a bit of the taste. Absolutely. Uh, As you know, though, a lot of mass-produced food is designed to hit that sweet spot, Mm -hmm. that bliss point, right? The balance where... Yeah, people just cannot get enough of them. Mm-hmm. It's, right? it's those food food companies are, are not always there for your benefit. Mm-hmm. They're there to to put things on the shelf that are affordable and that people want to buy, and for them to make a profit, and to make a profit. Yeah. So, usual things apply. The the more they can drive the price down, the more you buy, the more money they make. And they fulfill fulfill a perceived need Mm -hmm. so if you were giving advice to anyone listening to to those listening about you know taking care of their health what would what would your advice be from your own personal experience from what you've studied from the insight you've gained i think it's a multi-part effort and there's no one component in saying well you know stop consuming sugar right and you'll be healthier I think it it's a whole number of pieces. It, it's it's like it's like the old adage saying, well, you know, do, do people who go to the gym who are healthier are they healthier just because they go to the gym, or or are they actually is it part of a, a wider healthy lifestyle that leads them when they're active to want to eat food that is better suited to a healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, and not to excessively drink or or to smoke or or to you know partake of activities which are detrimental Mm -hmm. is it just part of a big picture and and that probably is is the bottom line and and you know for anybody i think that wants to get healthier i i think the same entry point for me is the same if you are consuming large quantities of of refined and processed foods and particularly sugar Mm-hmm. you probably need to curtail it you need to find a, a journey out of it mm-hmm. because you can go to the gym seven days a week if you put 200 grams of sugar in your body every day you're not no. going to change a lot no you will probably ultimately start to succumb to lifestyle diseases well you'll you'll get stronger and you'll still get benefits sure. of training but yeah i hear what you're saying yeah, so I, I, it just needs a commitment. It, it needs a, a journey. And whether that had just happened because of, you know, the events at that time, um, I, I can't say what drove me to actually jump on that bandwagon. But clearly there's something I wanted to change. Yeah. And that was it. And I did a post on Instagram this morning when we went to the gym together because you've had the he's had the week off he's had two weeks off and so we've got to work out you know most days this week and it's been so nice and I've had countless clients who have partners who aren't on board 
with their fitness journey. Like they don't, they don't want to work out with them. They don't really care to eat healthy. And I'm always so thankful that you and I are on the same page. And I feel like there's been this revitalization within our workouts, even ourselves and wanting to get stronger and, you know, have these new goals and how much more motivating is that as a couple? Like that would be so hard to do on your own. It, it is. And I'm really fortunate that, you know, obviously, although we're married and, and that could easily create a conflict, I, I respect your training as a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. I'm, I used to pay you for personal training. You did. You're qualified as a personal trainer. I'm not. So, you know, as much as it, it would run against the, the normal grain, you know, being corrected for form or, or things, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to listen to that, take that on board from somebody who's more knowledgeable. Yeah, um, I definitely put trained. my trainer hat on when we're at the gym together. Sure. It's, we're not really husband sure. and wife. We are, but it's very, I still, I still rate your programs. I just try and lift stuff that's heavy when I'm there, <laughs> right? It's like... But you care about the I technicality do. and all of that kind of stuff. It, it is important to do it the right way. Yeah. For, for, for certain, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I did a post on Instagram talking about how it's important to have that support. And for those who don't, change can be extremely difficult. So I have the most, I have so much respect for people who are really doing it alone. Because it's not, it's not easy to create change, let alone have that resistance from those who are closest to you when you're trying to create change. Absolutely. And you see the committed gym goers. I mean, I tend to go early in the morning when I'm at work and, you know, they're there and they have their notebooks and they're writing down their exercises. And I think for a lot of folks outside seeing that, that it's, it's a level of commitment that would scare them, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't even have to be that regimented. You just need to show up have at least some semblance of an idea of what your goals are and what you're doing and and do it regularly yeah and if you can't afford a trainer you know get a trainer for a few sessions or watch a youtube video and yeah right just but just try and or get someone else to help you in the gym who who looks like maybe they know what they're doing more although that can be <laughs> that can be a problem too actually yeah but, yeah yeah 100 percent well, it's been it's been a journey for you. I'm so happy that it you is. came on the podcast. I've been trying to get you on here for a while. I know. First one. It's uh... episode 76. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of every episode, I like to ask some fun questions. So now you are the recipient of those fun questions. Are you ready? Yeah, go on. Okay. If you were stranded on a desert island... And could only pick one food to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Is this like a single thing or just nope. a dish? Just a dish, a single thing, whatever. It would be Indian food. Ooh, a curry. Mm-hmm. What kind of curry? Something spicy. It's a good dish. Sure. That's good. Mm-hmm. Good answer. What is the best meal you've ever eaten your entire life? That's really tricky. It's impossible <laughs> to say. We've had some great meals and some bad ones. Okay, what's a really good meal that you've eaten? Probably at Rouge in Calgary, mm. I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't be specific on it, but probably one of their tasting menus at the time. 
Yeah. I mean, they're definitely up there mm-hmm. on the, you know, in terms of leading. Yeah. What is your least favorite food? Probably any type of shellfish mm. as a group. Just because you don't like the flavor? Yeah, and they don't always sit that well. I've, I've never been a great fan of crab or, or lobster. It's probably my least favorite go-to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite restaurant? I think that varies and will change. Some restaurants on travel, right, we've only been to once maybe. Yeah. And, you know, that can, that can be great. Um, probably where we are now, Rouge is probably your favorite, favorite restaurant. I think so. Wow, I didn't know that. I thought you'd say Calcutta Cricket Club. I mean, that's great for casual dining, but if you go favorite, right, in terms of culinary experience, do you have to have the tasting menu for Rouge to be your favorite? Do you think that that's what makes it? I don't think so. Okay, uh, I, I think just generally, just being up there in terms of dining experience. Mm. It's so good. Maybe going somewhere really regularly, familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah, that's so. true. What was that place um, that we went to in LA just now? What was that place that we kept going back? WeHo Bistro. WeHo Bistro. That's actually probably one of my favorite places. I know this isn't about me. No one asks me these questions because I'm always asking the questions. But I'm, not, I'm telling you, that's a good restaurant. It's just like a... Real casual place, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. Great for uh, yeah daily dining. Mm. But Rouge is your favorite. Okay. What is your favorite travel destination that you've been to? I'd say Italy, Rome. We've been to some good cities. I like New York. I like London. But Rome. Is Rome. Rome is Rome. And yeah, I, I like Italy. Mm. Mm. What are some of your non-negotiable health practices? Limiting sugar. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the, the go-to. If you, if you do pick up a product or you think about, you know, making desserts when you make them. Yeah. The sugar is the thing we cut down, right? Yeah. Um, but also getting to the gym. Yeah. Yeah, that's a kind of non-negotiable we've got to create space mm. it's not something that that we just take off the table and say okay well, i'm not going to do that anymore yeah for sure what is the happiest moment of your life oh i have to tread carefully with this one <laughs> <laughs> no just be honest no i i think um i think being blessed with a second opportunity mm. um you know, and getting married second time um, and, you know, finding that love was, is a really big moment, right? Mm-hmm. So it isn't necessarily something you expect. It's, nobody can predict those kinds of things. So, yeah, not being overly soppy, but but I think I think when we got married. Yeah, that was, ve- that was a very, very happy moment for sure. And what advice would you like to leave our listeners with in regard to their health? Whatever you do, wherever, whatever stage of life you're at, always move. Think about what you can do. 
um, you know, stay active. Even if it's not going to the gym, if if you can garden or walk or or just stay in motion, um, you know, we we met your um, your grandmother on your dad's side. Yeah, she's in her nineties, almost ninety five. Almost ninety five, um, and she's walked a lot, and it it shows. Um, you know, she may be complaining about the odd piece of mobility, but it's normally in relation to not being able to walk three miles. Well, yeah. There are people 50 years younger that don't walk three miles. Every can't. day I walk three miles today. Mm-hmm. So just move, stay moving. I mean, the body is the body is a machine of type. And yeah, if you don't use it, and then you lose it, you lose it. For sure. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I think we should um we should schedule to do a part two at some point. Talk about all all the other things that we left out. I mean, we could just keep talking and talking. We do just keep talking and talking. It's the nice thing about marrying someone you actually like. There's a lot of people that marry people that they love, but they don't necessarily like them. But we just like talk and talk for hours. But Let's cut it off there. I hope everyone gained some insight into how they could change their health, maybe things they need to start doing or stop doing. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, There's a lot of resources out there to listen to. Mm -hmm. It's just having that commitment and desire for change. Oh, as is always the case with any endeavor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You You have to have that commitment in yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, honey. Thank you. (laughs) All right, you guys, you have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave me a review as your reviews get this message of better health out there. You can also follow me on Instagram at Lena Jade's Healthy Life where I post fitness, nutrition, and psychology content pretty much every day. All right, you guys, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. And as you go throughout your day, always remember, you are powerful over your health.